this episode, we'll discuss a topic that clinicians would rather avoid at times, diagnosing mental health. It can take clinicians out of their comfort zone and has little financial incentive, frankly. However, we're going to tell you why it's important to make that diagnosis when it's needed. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient. Welcome to Modern Practice. Joining me again is Connie Ryan. Connie, welcome back to Modern Practice. I'm glad to be here. So Connie, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do here at Vizient. So I am a registered nurse by training. I have a background in adult acute care and critical care. I've been CDI for a total of about 10 years at this point, consulting for seven of that. And I currently serve as a consulting director for the CDI team at Vizient. Connie, I really appreciate our discussion today. We've been speaking on several episodes about the issues occurring with mental health or the lack of treatment for mental health occurring presently. So can you explain why there isn't a lot of incentive to make mental health diagnoses when we document nowadays? So there are actually a couple of reasons for that. The first one that we see, I think often is the comfort level of providers. I think particularly among hospitalists and primary care providers, honestly, I just don't think it's fair to ask them to make that initial diagnosis. But even when it comes to adding specificity to that, they may not be completely comfortable with that. And that's fair. The second issue is from a CDI perspective, there really aren't many mental health diagnoses that offer a financial impact. If it's a program that maybe they've not really moved beyond financial impact, then there's not a lot of incentive to kind of look for that specificity. I appreciate the comment about fairness because as a primary care physician, I share that. I'm very comfortable with treating depression, but when it comes to the other mental health conditions in the DCMB, even just using the DCMB is very confusing for me right now. I don't even know what level they're at at this moment. And forget about making the diagnosis. Then when it comes to the treatments, I'm just quite frankly, not very comfortable with using them at this moment other than SSRI. So then you mentioned about the financial impact or the lack of the financial impact. So why is it important to capture mental health diagnosis beyond the purposes of reimbursement? We have kind of a bigger purpose here. There's also the issue of accurate risk adjustment and not just in the inpatient setting, but also across the continuum of care. And when I say risk adjustment, I'm painting with a really broad brush here. I mean, there's CMS claims-based quality measures. There's the Elixhauser methodology. Private commercial payers have their own sort of risk adjustment methodology. So across all of those, a lot of times you will find some risk adjustment impact with mental health diagnoses. Besides the risk adjustment then, what's another reason an organization would want to make such diagnosis? Well, from a broader, more global perspective, we really should be concerned about accurate reporting overall, right? And then the other thing is that we can't change what we don't measure. And these ICD-10 codes don't necessarily stop at just a claim. That data is collected and used in epidemiological studies and for other purposes, they're used for research. And so it really is important that we guard that data closely. The good news, however, right, with mental health diagnoses is that if you are looking at it from a risk adjustment perspective, 
you don't always need specificity with these diagnoses in order to capture the risk adjustment potential the way you need with other conditions, like if we were just focusing on the financial impact. So that could be a game changer, Connie, because many of us are actually involved in some type of value-based contracting now, particularly in the ambulatory setting. So whether it be Medicare Advantage, so my ACCs are important to help me with my RAF score. Is that what you're getting at? That's part of it. Yep. So we're looking at the ambulatory setting. We're looking at across the continuum of care. And so, yes, that is part of it. It all works together. How can one begin to increase the accurate capture of these diagnoses? Because it still goes back to, I'm not really comfortable. Right. So here's what I would do. Here's the advice that I would give for CDI programs that are considering this sort of an initiative. So the first step, obviously, is going to be to develop a plan. And if I were developing that plan, the first thing that I would do would be to gather some data. So I would find somebody who's familiar with the data that you can pull from your EHR and see how often are we diagnosing, are we capturing these diagnoses, and how often are we capturing nonspecific versions of these diagnoses. And I would use that data to prioritize a couple of key conditions and then develop an education plan. Once your education is complete, then you continue to collect data and measure improvement. And when I say education, I'm talking about not just the CDI team, but also with providers. And it also helps to kind of gauge their comfort level with that. I would do that first, too. That would make sense to me. But once this plan is in place, what should CDI specialists do to keep the providers on board with it? So communication is key. Conversations with the providers, like I said, about their comfort level in responding to queries for specificity. Here's the deal. If your providers are not comfortable with answering questions about schizophrenia specificity, you can write queries all day until your fingers wear out. Mm-hmm. But if they're, if they're not going to answer them, then all you get is physicians who are overloaded with queries and are burning out and CDI professionals who have just wasted their time. And so it's really important to keep those lines of communication open. The other thing I would advise is to start small. Don't despise small beginnings. Start with one or two different kind of categories or diagnoses, and then expand out from there. I'd like to consider an example for this, Connie. For example, I mentioned that for myself, I'm very comfortable with treating depression. But with depression, there could be complicated depression kind of symptoms, say from bipolar disorder. Is that what you're getting at? Is saying, okay, kind of reach out from depression, which is something we see all the time, But if you might want to consider the patient has bipolar disorder, documenting that, is that what you're getting at? Yes. Yes, that is it. And it's interesting that you say that you have a comfort level with depression because most diagnoses, the initial diagnosis of depression is usually made in a primary care setting. And so I think that major depressive disorder would probably be a good place to start because that is probably your most likely especially if you're in a physician practice setting and you're looking to optimize the capture of HCC diagnoses. That's a really good place to start. 
It's very common that many of our practices have part of their screening tool, PHQ-9, or at least a 3. Is that part of our documentation for this? Would that be sufficient, or we actually have to diagnose the condition? If you're talking about documentation, especially in the physician practice setting, you've got to support every diagnosis. So it's not enough to just say the patient has major depressive disorder, but you've also got to monitor, evaluate, assess, or treat one of those things, at least. And the PHQ-9 is part of that assessing the ongoing evaluation. And that can also help you support the level of severity of major depressive disorder and if it's recurrent or not, or if it's in remission. So yes, those are valuable tools, any assessment tool that you're using. And so really it's about making sure that the documentation that's in the medical record paints an accurate picture of what is going on with that patient. I should be able to review a coding summary after an encounter is over and have at least a good idea of what was going on with that patient. It should kind of tell a story, right? And for us to say that that's not part of their story, it's not realistic. And so we need to tell that part of the story too. Connie, great discussion. And we'll continue in our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Connie at her email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast at visionink.com. We've posted a link in our research section to make it easier for you. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening. 